Today's scripture reading is um, from Matthew 6, 9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then 18, 1 through 6. <clears throat> At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. The word of the Lord. There is no place like home. Famous words by who? Who said that in the movies? If you live in Kansas, it's like it's like a big deal. It's the only movie where Kansas is special. So Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. There is no place like home. If you ponder those words, they they are quite profound. There is no place like home. Recently, my family has done something that we have never done before. We moved. I spent my first 36 years living in Kansas City. You could draw a map about 10 mile radius, and all of who I was and where I lived and what I knew was right there. And in following God's call, it became clear to us that that was not where we were going to live any longer. The house we were going to sell, uh, the relationships we had were going to become long distance. And now we've been here in Prairieville, enjoying it for the last three months. And it has been an experience, finding home. The adrenaline of the move is gone. And now it's, where's my favorite place to eat? Where do these roads go? Uh, Patterns and rhythms and just things you took for granted, you know, they have to be relearned. We are in the process of finding home. And so it's caused me to reflect on the idea of home. The idea of home is such a simple concept. It's just this little word, home. But it's got profound significance for each of us. Home means something deep to all of us. The absence of home evokes great sadness. You have homesickness. You have the tragedy of a broken home. You have the lostness of homelessness. These are deeply grievous things to think about. There are so many stories in the Bible where God calls someone to leave their home That always catches me with interest. I think it catches a lot of people with interest. You think of the disciples who dropped their nets and left their father and followed Jesus. You think of Abraham who was growing up in the metropolis of Babylon. God called him to leave his home, to leave his family, and to go. And for a while, not even to know where. These are amazing stories. 
They generate wonder in us, but also anxiety. Lord, don't ask that of me. Don't take me from my home. There are so many quotes that describe home. I I researched a few, and and they all have resonance with them. They all speak to something unique. Uh, An author named Lin Yutang said this, No one realizes how beautiful it is to travel until he comes home and rests his head on his old, familiar pillow. The actor Hugh Jackman describes home in a way that's very familiar to me. When I come home... My daughter will run to the door and give me a big hug. And everything that's happened that day just melts away. Maya Angelou, the poet, a bit more philosophical, says, The ache for home lives in all of us. The safe place where we can go as we are and not be questioned. And perhaps... The best description of home comes from the old prophet Pliny, the elder, who said, home is where the heart is. Home for many of us is the idea of family. We are home when we are with family. Most of us choose where to live and to work in order to be close to family. We're constantly looking for a new job if it gets us closer to family. Home is a powerful place, but home is also elusive. Our lives keep changing. We find ourselves not feeling home very much, even if we've never gone anywhere. Family reunions always seem to be almost there, but something is missing. They never capture the feelings that you're wanting in that family reunion like you remember. Family members, some don't come. Some have married and moved away. Some have moved for a job. Some aren't there because of sickness. Some aren't there because they have died. And so even when you feel like you've got your home, there's also something not home, something missing about home. We pursue home, but often we never really feel like we have it. We look at home as something we had in the past, or we look at home as something that we're trying to get to in the future, but when we look at right now, it's just not quite home. Our ideal of what is home is always more than what we're experiencing now. We look at our homes and we wonder, is this it? It's important that we think about home and family and this sense of elusiveness as we come to the Lord's Prayer today. In our words today, we discover that the Lord's Prayer is a family prayer. I believe Jesus wants us to see in the Lord's Prayer to the, the answer to our hearts that long for home and long for family. The Lord's Prayer shows us these three gospel realities that form us into the family of God. The Lord's Prayer offers us a home that fulfills all of our longings, and it can never be lost. We have been, this is the third week in this series that that you should be familiar with now called As It Is, Living in the Vision of Jesus. Two weeks ago, we focused on how the Lord's Prayer is, is Jesus' vision of what it is like in heaven, as it is in heaven. And so we see the Lord's Prayer as Jesus describing what heaven is and, and our pursuit of bringing heaven into our lives on earth as it is in heaven. 
And last week we, we looked at how we are to pray, what kind of heart of prayer we are supposed to have, and we focused on the idea of the glasses, the spectacles, that for us to see as it is in heaven, we have to have the eyes of faith. We have to have the heart of Jesus. Well, now as we move into the Lord's Prayer specifically, into those petitions, and we start thinking about what each of those means, we're going to be putting emphasis on the, on the idea of living in the vision of Jesus. Many of us come to the Lord's Prayer and we rattle it off. It's a rote couple of words that we say in unison once a week. But that is not what the Lord's Prayer is meant to be. The Lord's Prayer is meant to be a prayer from the heart, and a message for how we are to live. We talked last week about the Gentiles, who their way of praying is to heap up empty phrases and think that they are heard by their many words. And there is a great irony that as we are in the church today, the most Gentile-sounding prayer for many of us is the Lord's Prayer. The prayer that more often than not gets said mindlessly, that just gets said without a moment's thought or reflection, is the Lord's Prayer. And so it is important as we come to this prayer that we recognize that it is meant not to be a mindless prayer that we rattle off like some incantation, but it is supposed to be something that engages our hearts, our minds, and our souls. It is something that is supposed to shape our life. It is something that we are supposed to live out. And so we need to pay attention here to Jesus' words of introduction to this prayer. He says, pray then like this. Pray then like this. It's not just read this prayer. It means to pray, to be in prayer. And the prayer that Jesus gave us is an example. It is a model for our prayers. It is to shape what our prayers are to be about and what they are to look like. But it is not meant to be the only thing we pray. The Lord's Prayer is to guide us through prayer. And so it is important as we come today to recognize that when we are looking at the Lord's Prayer, we are looking at a model prayer. And if you have your uh, handout in your, in your bulletin, you can start following along. There are two ways that the Lord's Prayer is meant to be a model. The first is that it, is, it gives us form to our praying. If we want to know how to pray effectively, if we want to know what to pray about, there is no better prayer for us to study than the one who came from the Son of God. When we want to know, how do I speak to my Father? There is no better expert than his Son who has given us this prayer. And so it gives form to our praying. We are to pray about these things. These sorts of things ought to be the occupation of our prayer life. But the second way it forms our prayers is it forms us as prayers. As I said, this prayer came from the mind of Christ. This is the prayer that Christ loves to pray. And so if we want to measure how far we are in Christ-likeness, we only need to look at this prayer and see how closely what we desire to pray for is like what the Son of God desires to pray for. So as we pray this prayer, it forms us as prayers. It, it eviscerates praying for football games and replaces it with prayers for God's glory. It forms us up 
into the prayer, into the mindset of Jesus. And so in your, in your bulletin, I have given us uh, this for you guys to look at. It breaks up the Lord's Prayer, the six petitions, and the address into seven individual prayers that you can pray part of each day. And as you pray through this prayer, you treat it like a model, you can go through these bulleted items and it will guide you praying through that individual item. And my desire as we are a congregation is that we practice this together. We are daily praying together the Lord's Prayer. And I would be excited to see how the Lord's Prayer forms us up as prayers and forms us up as a congregation by committing ourselves to praying the Lord's Prayer together. It is because of the ability of this prayer to form us that we need to understand the first thing that the Lord Jesus wants to form in us is a sense of the family of God. And that is what we are looking at in today's passage specifically. Our Father in heaven is going to teach us three gospel realities that form us into the family of God. Let us now look more closely at these different realities from the Lord's Prayer that form us into the family of God. The first, the first reality of the gospel is God is our heavenly Father. God is our heavenly Father. That is the first gospel reality that begins to form us into the family of God is the Lord's Prayer teaches us God is our heavenly Father. As we look at this part of the Lord's Prayer, there are three A's that you can find uh, to describe what it means that God is our Heavenly Father. The first A is adoption. God is our Heavenly Father by adoption. There is a great misunderstanding in our world today that thinks God is everyone's Father because God is the Creator of everyone. And in, in a sense, we can say God is our creator, and in a sense, we can call God our, we can say we are offspring of God, but the address of calling God Father is not something that the Scripture gives to anyone who has been created. The description, the title Father, is a gift that God gives to his children who become his children through belief in the gospel. Look at the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, which says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This statement is saying that there are people who are not children of God, that we are born not children of God, It is only through the right given to us by the gospel, by faith in Jesus Christ, that makes us children of God. So in the gospel, those who call God Father are those who have been trusting in the gospel. You can see this from the Lord's Prayer itself. The Lord's Prayer is not a prayer for the world. To pray the Lord's Prayer, to pray our Father in heaven... We have to be those who can pray, hallowed be God's name. Now, how can we pray, hallowed be God's name, and deny the name of Jesus, his son? To pray the Lord's Prayer, we have to be able to pray, thy kingdom come. But how can we pray, thy kingdom come, if we want to deny that Jesus is king? 
we are to pray, thy will be done. But how can we pray thy will be done if Jesus is not Lord? We want to pray, give us this day our daily bread, but how can we pray that without recognizing that the bread of heaven is Jesus? You want to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive others. How can we pray that without knowing Jesus as our atoning sacrifice? You want to pray, deliver us from the evil one. How can you pray that without having Jesus, the resurrected Lord, who has conquered the evil one by destroying death? You see, the Lord's Prayer thoroughly assumes a relationship with Jesus Christ. Those who can pray, our Father, are those who confess, Jesus is Lord. There is no one else that this prayer is for. We receive this prayer by adoption. It is a gift. The idea that we speak to God as Father should cause us great excitement. You have in the heavens enthroned above all creation one who calls the stars and puts them in their place, one who establishes nations and brings them down, a father, a father. This privilege is is so great. This is what the Apostle John was, was getting at when he said in our, in our call to confession, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. I want you to think about this. Now, I am not the best father. I'm not a bad father. I love my kids. I would do anything for my kids. I will go to whatever end it requires to protect them, to provide for them, to give them compassion, to show them affection and tenderness, to let them experience my pride, my joy, my love for them. I would give my life for my kids and I would do it immediately. But here is the thing. My love, as rich, as intense, as all-consuming as it is, is incredibly shrunk. It is the lesser. God's love is far greater than any human parent's love for any human child. All the protection, all the provision, all the compassion, all the affection, all the tenderness, all the pride, all the joy, all the love that you can imagine a father having for a child, God has for you in Christ, but more. But more. The Puritan Thomas Watson said, All the affections of parents come from God, yet are but a spark from his flame. A spark from his flame. The love that God has for you as his child cannot even be compared to the best love you can find between a father and child on earth. Now some have a hard time with the word father. Because you have had a twisted, corrupted father. One who has failed you. One who has sinned against you. One who has betrayed or violated your trust. And I, I am so grieved by that. 
Because to, to take and ruin the name Father is so criminal. Because it takes people's ability to receive and love and trust their Father in heaven. But I want to say, I, I know that there are some who have had a Father that has failed them. But I want to say to you right now, please, don't let a flawed dad deprive you of a perfect heavenly father. Your heavenly father is not like that. He is good all the time. And he loves you all the time. And he gave his son for you. You may never be separated from his love. When we think about a Christian, Packer, J.I. Packer says this, I think it's beautiful. What is a Christian? The richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as Father. And so when we have God as Father, there are two beautiful privileges that flow out of this. The first is our access. We have access to the Father. Children don't need an appointment to see their dad. They just come right in. Both of my kids came in this morning into my office and wanted to talk to Dad. Nobody else came. You can, but, but they know they can. Came right in. They got a hug. Nothing I was doing was so important that I couldn't have that distraction. I love there's a picture when uh, John F. Kennedy was president in the Oval Office. He's sitting at his executive desk, doing business, doing presidential business, running the free world. And in the frame, inside of John F. Kennedy's desk, is JFK Jr. peeking out. JFK Jr., the son of the president, is able to play underneath the president's desk, between the president's legs. That is the access that a son has. And you have a far greater access. You get to come into the room, into the throne room, where the the angels cry, holy, holy, holy. And they cover their eyes because he is so majestic. But you, as a child of God, get to take yourself right through the seraphim and say, hi, Dad. And he looks back at you and he says, hi, son. Hi, daughter. What amazing access you have as a child of God. In addition to your access, you have a God to adore, a God to worship, a Father to reverence. This is what is in the words, in heaven. In heaven serves to remind us that our Father is sovereign and in control. That gives us great peace and encouragement to ask of the Father whatever we need. But it should also, if we are a reverent child, remind us that the one that we call Dad is magnificent and worthy of all honor. And let me ask you, who should show God the Father more honor in this world than his own children? We should not be the people that treat God as cheeky. 
We should be the people who show the world our God is magnificent. It should hurt your ears more to hear God the Father blasphemed than somebody to make fun of your own dad. Because you reverence him and you want to honor him as your father in heaven. So, the first gospel reality. God is our heavenly father. The three A's, adoption, access, and adoration. There will be no more alliteration. The the second gospel reality that we have from the Lord's Prayer that form us into the family of God, we are kingdom heirs. We are kingdom heirs. How does being God's child affect how we pray? It changes how we see ourselves. We are not orphans. We are not unknown. We are children. So when we pray our Father, we pray as children. As we look at the passage in Matthew 18, we come upon a conversation that seemed to have the disciples' interest quite a bit as they walked through the countryside with Jesus. They continually argued, the disciples did, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? A lot of times they had this conversation out of earshot of Jesus. Sometimes they were so bold that they they even came to Jesus and wanted him to settle the conversation. James James and John even had their mother (laughs) come to Jesus and say, settle this for me. Can my son sit in the thrones next to you when you come into your kingdom? So the idea upon the disciples again and again is, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It seems to be what they're talking about whenever Jesus interrupts them. Now why is that such an important question to them? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What is so important about greatness to us? Greatness is where we find security. Greatness is where we find significance. Greatness is where we find belonging. We have made our entire lives to pursue greatness because greatness secures us. If I'm the best player on the team, I don't get cut. If I bring in the most money, if I add the most to the bottom line, I don't get laid off. If I am the greatest, I am the furthest from being thrown out. If I am the greatest, then I am significant. I am too large to fail. That is how we secure ourselves in this world, by continually climbing that rat race, that that ladder, because the higher we are, the more we feel like we are in control and secure. And the same was going on with the disciples. Who's the closest with Jesus? Because Jesus is going to get a big payday here. Who's going to be right there with them? Who's going to get part of that glory? Let's compete. Let's make sure that we are the closest, the greatest. And what does Jesus do in response to this, to this conversation? He takes a child, a little kid, a three, four, five-year-old kid. He puts him on his lap and he says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
A child. What is a child? A child is a nobody. If you have a large problem that you are trying to solve, a world-sized problem about pollution or about terrorism, who goes to the kid and says, what's the answer? Solve this, this major mechanical failure. Ask the kid. He's probably got it figured out. No, the kid has nothing to contribute. The kid is a nobody. The world does not run on children. It runs on adults doing adult things. We don't give degrees to little children because they don't know anything. Children are helpless. My kids can't make dinner. My kids can't support themselves. They would be homeless and helpless without their parents. And yet, they are secure, they are confident, they are carefree, they are happy, and they have no fear. They sleep without anything on their minds. They get in the car without anything distracting them. They are just carefree. Why? Why? Because their identity is shaped entirely by their father. When we were traveling down here from Kansas City, we had just put all of our possessions in a moving truck. And we were driving down in two different cars. We left our house that we had had our kids in, that we grew up with them in. We left it for the last time. We had everything we owned in a big box rolling down the road. I had a lot of stuff on my mind. I'm thinking, great googly moogly. What have we done? And we're three hours down the road. Becky's driving with the kids in her car. I'm in the other vehicle. And we pull up to a stoplight, so both cars are side by side. And Becky rolled down the windows of her car. And I looked over, and I saw my boy. And he had this big smile on his face. He was happy. He wasn't nervous. He wasn't wondering what if. He just smiled at me. Where are we going, Dad? I'm excited. And I looked at that, and I'm like, I'm on the same adventure with my Heavenly Father. Why can't I have the same excitement? Why can't I be freed from all that worry, just like my son? My son gave me an image of what it means to be childlike in our faith. God loves you with the same love and the same pride that he has for Jesus. That's what it means that he calls you a child of God. You are the apple of his eye. The sparkle in his eye is you. He delights in you. He cares for you. Everything that you need, you find with a heavenly father like that. And so when Jesus says we must become child children, he is saying only those who have a childlike faith can truly receive God's love and know God. Childlikeness is having our world and our identity shaped solely by our Father. It's coming to him in full trust. It's smiling at him through the car window. 
The Lord's Prayer is our Father's world. And in it, we experience the security of children. To be a child, though, we must find our significance and our value in God's view of us alone. That is so freeing. You're not great because of your paycheck. You're not great because of your house. You're not great because of your car. You're great because in your worst day, God calls you child. And that will never be taken away. Do you allow yourself to see you through your father's eyes. That is what it takes to experience this childlikeness. So when we pray, we pray as children, but also when we pray, our father, we pray as heirs with Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. When we pray our Father, we pray as heirs with Christ. The Lord's Prayer is not just our Father's world. It is our inheritance. We pray as it is in heaven. That means that someday it will be here on earth as it is in heaven, and that will be ours. The kingdom of heaven, we are heirs and inheritors too. As heirs, though, we need to recognize that that doesn't just make us people who sit back and pray. In the first century, a child, an heir, lived as an apprentice of his father. It's like when you go to a farm and you have a, a whole family out there working, the farmer's son is learning the family business from his father because someday the family business is going to be the son's. That is what it's like to be a child of God. We pray it as heirs, knowing that someday all of this is ours, and that means even today it's our family business. We work with our Father. Jesus came, the heir of all things, in prayer, ready to serve. He didn't just pray our Father, he prayed our Father and he got up and he lived for his Father. We cannot pray mindlessly then, we cannot pray rotely. Praying our Father is our roll call into the kingdom. It's our way of saying, here I am, Dad, send me. When we pray, we pray as kingdom heirs. And the third gospel reality that we have from the Lord's Prayer that forms into the family of God is that the church is our family. We pray our Father in heaven, our Father. The Lord's Prayer requires meaningful connection to one another. It is not accidental that the Lord's Prayer is given to us in the first person plural. It's our Father. It's our daily bread. It's our debts and forgiveness. It's lead us out of temptation. We are not praying this alone. We are praying this together. We are praying this as a family. And this is why in Matthew 18, Jesus immediately transitions from talking about children in the kingdom of heaven to a warning. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. 
But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned into the depth of the sea. Jesus has moved from the literal discussion of children to the metaphorical children of faith here in verse 6. Whoever receives one such child, a child who believes in me like a child believes in their father, that person... If we cause that person to stumble or to stray or for their faith to get off track because of our irresponsibility, our carelessness, or our just plain wantonness, it would be better for a millstone to be wrapped around our neck and thrown into the sea. The reason Jesus makes this warning is because when you are children of God, you are brothers and sisters, you stand or you fall together. To cause someone to stumble, to cause someone to go into error, is to cause your brother to go into error and to stumble. You are committing a sin against your family when you lead someone who is naive and trusting into sin and rebellion. The idea is that the believers don't go it alone. They take care of one another. They bear one another's burdens. They serve each other's growth. The Lord's Prayer calls us into family life with fellow believers. Fellowship in church is like family reunion. These are your people. These are your brothers, your sisters. These are the people that are caring about you and praying for you. These are the people that are there to, to hold you up. And absence is hurt. When you're at a family reunion, when you're at family supper, and one of your kids isn't there, it's not the same. When you come together as the people of God, as the family of God, and one of you is missing, it's not the same. God gave you particular gifts, particular strengths, for the sake of helping the body be the best it can be. And when you pull that out, when you refuse to give that to the body, the body suffers. Likewise, when you are suffering, the body suffers with you. But that happens through your connection. That happens through your fellowship in the family of God. The the gospel gives us a real family, an eternal family. Listen to what Jesus said to those disciples who left their homes. In Mark chapter 10, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. The Lord's Prayer teaches us that the gospel is not just about the vertical relationship with God but it's also about the horizontal relationship with the family of God. We cannot have God as our Father and not have the church as our family. Those cannot be torn asunder. This is your family. This is your home. So these three realities, God is our Father, we are kingdom heirs, and the church is our family, serve to form us into the family of God. The Lord's Prayer is not simply a prayer. It is home for the child of God. What is home? Home is where we find our family, where we learn to love and grow in the company of brothers and sisters. It is where we are united to one another in love. It is where we say together, Our Father. 
Home is where we have a good father that we love and respect. Hallowed be your name. Home is where we learn responsibility and obedience as future heirs. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Home is where we are cared for. Give us this day our daily bread and forgiven and forgiving. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And safe, deliver us from evil. The Lord's Prayer is Jesus' reminder that our home is not ultimately on earth. And this is the fundamental reminder that we forget so quickly. Our home is not ultimately on earth, but it is in heaven. The story of the Bible is that God made a perfect home for his children, Adam and Eve. But that Adam and Eve rejected that home that God made by their sin, and they became homeless. Ever since Adam and Eve left their home in Eden, God's people have been pilgrims. Constantly hoping for the day when Eden will be ours again. This is why Abraham left his home to follow God. Listen to how the book of Hebrews tells it. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles of the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. The home of God's people is with God. When God, our Father, calls us to go on a trip with him, we smile and go. My fear, my fear, is we are not pilgrims anymore. We've made home this place, and we really don't want it to change. If our home is not found in the Lord's Prayer, then our obedience is constrained to our earthly home, our earthly comfort, our earthly security, our earthly happiness. If home is where the heart is, then for many of us, our heart is not in this prayer. Is it any surprise that our lives don't look much different from those who don't pray our Father in heaven? We need to consider carefully whether or not we have made an idol out of our earthly homes. If so, the Lord's Prayer calls us to repent. The Lord's Prayer calls us to a greater family, a perfect Father, an eternal home. Let it become your vision of home. Have you made heaven your home? Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Your Father is ready to welcome you home. These words again, And the Father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found And they began to celebrate. Dear friends, dear family, your Father welcomes you home. Find your home in Him. And you will never be away from Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your gospel. 
We thank you for this prayer, which teaches us what it means to be a family of God. And so, Father, I pray, search our hearts for where our earthly home has become more important to us than our heavenly home. Give us, again, childlike faith and a spirit of an heir who knows that this kingdom is part of, is, is, gonna, is our kingdom. And so, Father, we pray, as you have taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.